Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. One of the all-time greatest cast members of Saturday Night Live, Dana Carvey, found his comedy greatness early, winning the San Francisco Comedy Competition when he was 22, then co-starring in a sitcom with Mickey Rooney and a young Nathan Lane, a bit part in This Is Spinal Tap. Carvey joined SNL at the age of 31 and revolutionized the show's impersonations by becoming President George H.W. Bush. Carvey also chopped broccoli, pumped you up with Hans and Franz, played Wayne's sidekick Garth in Wayne's World, and was and still is the church lady. Isn't that special? Yes. Yes, it is. Carvey came back in 2016 in a big way, presiding over a comedy game show on USA called First Impressions, and releasing a new Netflix special, Straight White Male 60. It's my pleasure to catch up with him, so let's get to it! I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Are, is there rioting in the streets where you are? You know, um, there's a lot of emotion around... Uh, L.A. right now. Yeah. No. No. Same, Where are you? I'm in New York City, and it's a uh, it's the same yeah. here. Although, right outside of our studio, they're just filming an episode of The Blacklist. That's that's all that's going on right now. James Bader will heal all wounds <laughs> if you just can see him pause mm-hmm. before he's great. <laughs> have um, you, I don't suppose you have a James Bader in your arsenal. No. But I, I just like watching him act. It's yeah. just fun. Um, so, you know, I, I wrote in my review of your, your Netflix special, Straight White Male 60, that when you when you really sit down and think about it, you you were kind of a game changer for Saturday Night Live with your your impressive skills at impersonation. It was it really kind of changed the way we looked at impersonations and the way that politicians looked at it. Do you do you have that? Well, sense that's a of... really nice compliment. Thank you. <laughs> did you did you have that sense at the time? I mean, obviously, President George H. W. Bush, you know, made note of your impersonation and started to even talk like you, talking like him. But did you know at the time? Um, you know, I was just discovering myself on that show. It sounds kind of highfalutin, but I was just sort of like, you know, great real impressionist, mm-hmm. like. Fred Travelina, this is going back, Rich Little, um, later on, you know, um, Frank Caliendo, you know, their ear, Jay Farrell, I mean, there's people with way better ears than me that I'm like, damn. <laughs> and sometimes I could be accurate. Mm-hmm. And, but as the George Bush Sr. one evolved, it became clear that to make him interesting, we're going to have to make up a character about him. It just happened organically. Okay. Um, so that I was saying stuff he never really said, but I was taking little teeny moments. Like he, I think I saw him once go bad. It's bad. You know, and that became a catchphrase, you okay. know, uh, the not gotta do it, you know, not gotta do it. So it's, to me, it's musical. It's nonsensical. Um, you know, it sometimes is flummoxed. Uh, critics like uh, sometimes I'm accused of being silly, mm-hmm. you know, which I take as a compliment. But Monty Python, you right. know, silly is good. Spam and spam. <laughs> I just see it as musical stuff. And Andy Kaufman, you know, right. thinks you'll very much. 
So I grew up with these musical rhythms. Um, the people I really was attracted to as performers. So, um, okay. but there's far better impressionists than me. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> this- I mean, I look at, they go, you're an impressionist. I go, well, what about church lady? Oh, that's right. Well, what about car? <laughs> mm, forgot about them. <laughs> what about Hans and Franz? Um, well, that's sort of an impression. Right. Well, it became it became very it became very effeminate, almost. You know, <laughs> and I could flick you and flick you. You know that that rhythm is so very you know. So. Right. Although, although for your Donald Trump, you know, in 2016, everybody in comedy seemed to have a take on on the way Trump spoke. But you, especially in your Netflix special, chose to focus on more his mannerisms and the physicality of him. Was that a, a deliberate choice? Well, that was five months ago. I've evolved it way past that. Oh, yeah? So that was just like, I didn't even think he'd be the nominee. <laughs> um, Nobody did. So in the editing, we had to move it up front because I go, I don't even know. Let's just put it up front. Okay. You know, it's not that. Um, I did. Yeah, at that point, it was all very new. I mean, mm-hmm. my latest thing is just Trump and Obama. I, I just, that, like, to me... Uh, one of the great Shakespearean, I mean, there, there'll be a movie, you know, on Nixon and Frost. There's going to be a movie about a Obama and Trump meeting in the White House. What did this stuff you said about me? What did you say about me? Said you were a nutball, whack job, unfit for the office. I said you were a Muslim and the worst president ever. Okay. Give me the codes. What are you talking about? I like codes. What about the nuclear codes? Can I get a code? Nope. Give me a code. Nope. Did I have a code? No, no. No, no. All right. Well, the primary code before you launch, one, one, two, four, three. Okay, I got it. One, two, five, seven. No, no, no. No, no, no. One, two, four, three. One, two. Look, I'm smart, okay? I'm very smart. I'm totally smart. One, two, nine, five. No, 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 no. So that's the thing I'm playing with today. <laughs> well, and they're going to be spending a lot of time together over the next couple months, so uh, I'm sure Yeah, this, this... and I think... Trump thing, aren't we all just shocked? Even the people who voted for him, isn't the whole thing completely surreal? I mean, it means anyone can be president now. It changed the game completely. Yeah, every, every, everyone in America is, is definitely in shock, no matter who they voted for. So, But, you know, say John Stewart went for the presidency in 2020. Mm-hmm. We all, we've all been acclimated. Now we're like, okay, you know, give right. it a shot. Judge Judy. I mean, I don't want to go into comedy bits, but yeah, there's a sense now. If you can go from Celebrity Apprentice to the White House, right. then all bets are off. There was that. There was that movie about ten years ago that that who the plot was that like a TV late night guy, uh, like a John Stewart, ran for president, and it was Robin Williams. Robin Williams, yeah. right? Robin Williams, yeah, yeah. played a stand up comedian who actually won the office. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, then... and now it's real, <laughs> except that nothing. When the Robin Williams movie could compete with Trump, you know, right? The the last year and a half, you know. Now you, uh, well, Robin actually reminds me to take take us all the way back to uh, San Francisco in the nineteen seventies. I didn't realize you were only twenty two when you won the San Francisco comedy competition. <laughs> I guess it's a thing. I know that comedy competition. I was, yeah. I mean, I was very lucky. The. The first year was the year that uh, Robin Williams finished in second place, and then you were in the mm-hmm. s- you won the second year in 1977. What? Jeez, you, is that online? Yeah, it is online. Back. It is online. Yeah, 
We're, and Robin handed me the check. There's a picture of Robin handing me the check, and mm-hmm. Mort Saul was over his shoulder. <laughs> you know. Oh, here you go. Yeah, Robin was always there. He was always always around. What? What in the seventies? Yeah. What did What did people make of you though? As this twenty two year old, were you were you looked at as like a boy genius or as a punk kid trying to take everybody's <laughs> thunder? Uh, no, I didn't look like a stand-up. I had kind of uh, a surfer haircut, mm-hmm. and uh, I looked incredibly young at that point. <laughs> so I think I was just thought of as a lightweight, um, kind of. Uh, I annoyed people. I remember I, <laughs> I got a show in um, with Mickey Rooney and Nathan Lane in New York yeah, in seen... 1981. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, seen, the, I've go... seen the YouTube video of that. It's You still look like a baby in that. Well, I was only 26 or 7, you know. Um, life hadn't <laughs> attacked me at that point. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, I would play the improv in New York. And then one night, this guy came over to me, probably 50. He mm-hmm. seemed like he was 100. And he goes, they don't like you. He pointed to the bar, and there was like five comics over there. They don't like you. They don't get you. But, kid, you get big laughs. So who am I to judge? Yeah. <laughs> So that was the first time I realized, oh, okay. So, um, but it was very encouraging to win that comedy competition at that point for me. Yeah. How, so, how did you, how, how were you able to put it all together at such a young age? So many people kind of flounder away through their twenties and, and stand up. You know what? I, I just, I just was, I, in, in my, I mean, I was pretty bad. I, I had a bit of an ear. I could do Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of anything. So I went to a toy store. I had props. I brought up a guitar. I was just sort of flailing. <laughs> I just had no, there was no YouTube. You go watch Louis C.K. and go, okay, that's how it's done. Right. You know, Dave Chappelle now. So we just were all in it together, me and these other comics. We just didn't have any, everybody was different. I used to lip sync to a Johnny Mathis song. I'd take a drag of a cigarette and the song would go and go, chances are, and the smoke would come out. I did complete avant-garde stuff. You know, I pre-recorded puppets. I had a Gumby thing. I would pull the legs and scream. And I had a prop, you know, trunk. Mm. I just, I was all over the place back then. Just all over the place. I could see how um, that, I could see how that would win a comedy contest, though. <laughs> you know, that was just because um, the guy, Mark McCollum, should have won. He mm. went overtime. Oh. And I didn't even have 15 minutes, but I wrote a bit that, in retrospect, was just completely Steve Martin. It was a guy in a singles bar, and the catchphrase was, uh, what do you do? You work? You go to school or what? And that's, you know, I was just doing Steve Martin, who was another huge influence, because it, there were no jokes. Right. It was all rhythm, you know? So. Right. You know, well, I mean, like, I know. You, you know, that song Chopping Broccoli, that's, uh, you know, that's that's still singable sing along now but and that was part of your snl audition yeah and i did it once on snl on the first show with right. Sigourney weaver and phil hartman and you know i realized later looking back is that you know um this is i don't know if you tell me if it's too philosophical but when everyone's in junior college or high school and you're in the car with your friends and you may have a funny friend right right and it's never jokes or clever observations. It's usually like they do an impression of a water polo coach. And you do it for an hour straight, you know, and you wind into these rhythms um, that then become catchphrases within your own 
peer group. Right. And so I thought, well, that's the ultimate. So the idea that people go around and go chopping broccoli, I, mean, I had a guy stop me in an airport the other day and said, not a day goes by that my friends and I, he's like 40, <laughs> that we don't refer to skinheads from Maine from the show I did with Stephen Colbert, the sketch mm-hmm. I did with Stephen Colbert. I was like, yeah, that's the coolest for me. It's like stuff that lasts because when it's a, when it's a one-liner or mm-hmm. a joke, it can't last. But if you're not quite sure why it's funny, it could go on for decades. It's crazy. <laughs> well, isn't that special? Is not a joke. Right. <laughs> not going to do it is not a joke. But there's something connective about that. I mean, even from this special, which, you know, I did the best I could. I, I think these things are shot very weird. I can tell I wasn't wasn't my best night, but, you know, um, still, if people are going to connect after you know, the Hitler bit, if everyone loves your Baba, but everyone loves your heck up, but no one knows who your Baba is. If they're <laughs> going to repeat that to each other when they're stressed out, mm-hmm. that's it. That's a whole month for me, personally. When did you, when did you realize that that, that, that could be your, your hook or your, your way into maybe, people's hearts? Maybe last month. You know? <laughs> Well, when I, I went on tour with uh, Dennis Miller and Kevin Nealon mm-hmm. and me, and so we're just three completely different styles. But when we were in the back of the SUV going to and from the dates or after it late at night, everyone did the same thing. Dennis had little characters he did and catchphrases. Nobody did bits. Everyone was doing silly rhythms and attitudes, things that were just the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I mean, Dennis is just hysterical that way. But he's such a brilliant writer, he's got that. But when you see him behind the scenes, he doesn't do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just he used to do all these little characters. <laughs> so I think it's what everyone wants to do, seems to me. I don't know. Were, were the three of you still all on the show when you were on tour together? We did one tour very early on together. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where I first noticed it. Okay. But um, it's I just get a kick out of it. I mean... You know, just I, I don't know. What's your philosophy? You probably thought. I mean, you're you analyze comedy, and this is what you do, right? I mean, yeah. Everybody has their own way of find. Well, you're finding your voice, and then you're finding what it is about you that people connect with. I mean, like you said, yeah. it, it, it all it always starts. It always starts from a pure place when you're a kid, usually, where mm-hmm. people find you mm-hmm. funny, and then when you decide to become a professional. You have to figure out how to tap into that on purpose and consistently. Yep. At eight o'clock with a microphone. Yep. So for everybody- that takes a long time. I mean, what really saved me was this little tiny hippie dive in the Haight Ashbury because mm-hmm. I played the biker bars and I was following Dick joke comics and having a rough time. And then this little tiny place they didn't sell hard liquor. Um, Paula Poundstone came in there, a lot of people, and that really allowed me to do this other style. Um, I'm much better in a small room right. um, where I can feel the audience and be rhythmic with them, but that that's where it all happened. And um, still, it's surreal that I got on the show and that my stuff worked on the show. Um, I auditioned for it a lot and just didn't get on there. So right. you never know, you know. Um so yeah, and then you came on with that with that whole you know kind of reboot of the show. Um, do you think? Yeah, Phil and Dan and I. Yeah. Do you think if uh, if in 1992 if Bush or God forbid Ross Perot had won that you would have stuck around longer? 
Um, because of the president? You know, it, it's possible. I, I stayed extra. I mean, when I left, it was seven years, and no one had ever stayed that long. <laughs> right. so it was this idea you do five and get out of there. I was the longest-running cast member in history when I left, and then Phil and others kept beating my record. <laughs> right. um, I got kind of too hot off the show. You know, too many Rolling Stone covers, the Wayne's World uh, phenomenon, you yeah. know. And so it felt like I can't get any bigger. I had two little kids. Um, but obviously for me, it was a perfect vehicle because it was fast and live. And, um, you know, people, you know, catchphrases are considered kind of hacky and stuff. And I totally get that. But there is something magic about them. Right. <laughs> um, you you talk a little bit in the Netflix special about, about taking that break from show business to, to be a father and be with your kids and raise your mm -hmm. sons. Yeah. How did you know when it was time to step away? Well, I think it sort of evolved over a very quick period of time. I mean, I, I, I was developing some movies. Bad Boys was one of them mm -hmm. that Will Smith did. <laughs> Hans and Franz, The Girly Man's Dilemma, Tucson, a uh, comedy western for me and John Lovett that Bob Odekirk and I wrote. And then in the other lane, I was being offered $3 million to do these goofy movies. And so then when they came out and bombed, because I knew they would, and I was sort of, uh, I thought, okay, this game of movies, I'm losing control. So I went back to television, and that show that I did with Louis C.K. and Robert Spiegel was great, but it just didn't belong on, right. you know, basically a Disney channel. <laughs> and then and the kids were getting older, and I was making a lot of money as a stand-up, um, so then it was like, mm. and my childhood was incredibly wicked. So this, it was really important to me personally to, uh, kind of write that ship with my own children. So mm -hmm. it became clear to me that I could do stand up interstitially and be there Christmas. And so my wife and I, that's what we, the choice we made. Um, you know, I ask her sometimes because my kids are doing stand up now. Did I ever talk about making money and being famous? Cause I've been with my wife since '79, and she goes, "No." So it's still kind of where I'm at. You know, if someone comes up to me about this special, even you know, I don't think it's perfect, but if it, if one line becomes something to them, that still gets me going. And I've turned down two hundred million dollars. I mean, people don't really understand how much stuff I turned down. Um. Uh, so I'm kind of unintentionally enigmatic. So <laughs> I did that. It was like 12 years away. I did stand up. I secured my fortune with corporate stand up in terms of taking care of everybody, mm -hmm. my family. And now I'm doing this and I'm, I'm just, I'm exactly the same excited as I would have been in 1980 creatively. I just want to have more and more control. That's all. One of the, one of the things I, I heard or read that you had also turned down was hosting a late night show. Is that true? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. They, I was. I, if you look back, I don't know if it's online. Me and David Letterman were. They put us on the cover of uh, of a TV Guide. Mm. Goes back. Um, and they paid me a million dollars just to say I would consider it. They they gave me an album signed by all four Beatles. Uh, Meet the Beatles is worth four hundred thousand now. To woo me, and I was a torturous year of trying to decide. Um, whether I should do that. Mm -hmm. And Conan had called me at home and he, he was going to be the producer. Oh, okay. He says, I only want to produce it if you're, you know. So yeah, that was a big, that was kind of a tough decision. It might have been the right decision, but you know, life is what it is. Uh, and Conan ended up being brilliant at it, one of my favorites. Right. So. 
Well, you had, you yeah. had you had played Johnny Carson so in, in sketches, so you did have some <laughs> spoof experience <laughs> at it. Well, I have an empathetic people pleasing side to me, so I would have been I would have been just fine. You know, <laughs> I think Fallon is currently kind of um, he's like the closest we have to Johnny Carson in a way, right. um, as far as being naturally. How are you doing? You know, um, I would have been fine, but you know. Um, it, it, it's a big flog, you know, when you're around those guys, it, it's a different crown to wear. You know? mm-hmm. You're just in this cult and the show and it's every night. And it's a big, big decision to take that on and, and spend 30 years in this box, basically. Right. Because I mean, it, it, it. It, it occupies at least five days of your, of your life every week. Yeah. It, it's emotionally intense to, to just be on TV that much. So, you know, but you know, I, I could have done it, but I, but I didn't, but, you know, there's no regrets now. Right. So I'm just a- excited. So after you secured your uh, family's financial future, what mm-hmm. what was the moment when you said, "Okay, it's time to make a a, a big splash, come back, and make make a Netflix <laughs> special, and and you know, come back and do cameos on SNL again, and and do the USA show." Yeah, which is this is the age of the kids. Mm-hmm. Just that they were, and then they started doing stand up. Um, so by the time they were like 19 and 21, it was sort of became pretty clear shortly after that to come because they were in it. So let's just all go back to L.A. We, mm-hmm. we kept our house in Marin County, but um, it was like, okay, great. And then show business was so intensely different with Amazon and Netflix and, you know, just live streaming and podcasts, and, you know. Um, just because I was here, I did a little part in Secret Life of Pets. It's up to 800 and 72 million. <laughs> so there's just so much show business to do, even though I'm older, it's right. fun. I, and I'd love to try to get a live streaming half hour show. I have a bunch of ideas. Um, and some pretty big names are now calling me to work with me. So it's weird. It's this age. It's kind of flattering. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, also, you know, the, the show First Impressions, which premiered earlier this year on USA, I mean, one of the mm-hmm. one of the competitors, Melissa Villasenor, is on SNL. There were two other cast members who were plucked for the reboot of Mad TV. It really uh, helped helped give a, a oh, kickstart to that a bunch was of really people. Cool, and that's yeah, and that's because I was here, and they go, "Well, it's three days of shooting and whatever." And I said, "Well, I don't want to be a judge, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to be a host, okay?" <laughs> so they just let me sit off to the side and riff, mm-hmm. and they had a you know. But uh, I saw Melissa when I was out there. She's just thrilled yeah. and super sweet, and um, that was great. You know, I remember sitting with Carell and Colbert, um, saying to him, "It seems obvious now." I said, "I've worked with Mike Myers, Adam Sandler, Phil Hartman. You guys have everything you need. You have all the likability and charm, and all the talent. You're going to make. It. I'm sorry, this show sucks, and we're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the show was good, but it was just it was a disaster, right?" But, you know, but pretty quickly. What is, what does it mean to you to be able to help help these these other uh, relatively younger people move up the chain? I love it. I honestly love it. And now I'm really interested in helping my kids <laughs> and other people I meet. You know, um, yeah, I just really love it. I mean, uh, Carell and Colbert, yeah, it's fantastic what right. happens to them. Fantastic. And um, Stephen Colbert sent me an email right before he started the late show 
saying everything I've done in my career is coming from you hiring me on that show because they both got jobs with John Stewart from sketches from the show they did with me. So it's very flattering. And Steve Carell came on the first impression show. They, they're just anyway, life is surreal and it's moving very fast. Yeah. How old are you again? <laughs> Uh, 45. 40? 45. 45. Yeah. So, you know, life is surreal. If you, do you ever go back to your high school and just walk around the campus I, on I, a Sunday? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's bizarre. It's kind of creepy. Kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I do love it. I honestly, sincerely, I love helping people come up. You know, I always think um, when I was a waiter and like, people were shit on me, I always thought, man, if I ever get in a position of power, I'm not going to be an asshole. No, I tip heavily and always assume that the person I'm talking to is smarter than me. <laughs> that would be you right now. <laughs> well, I, I thank you. You know, for... just, just respect. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that uh, massive assumption. Um, what, <laughs> what, have, what have you learned about the difference? You know, you talked about, you know, some of the movies that, that didn't go quite as, as you expected or planned. What, what have you learned about the difference between being a leading man uh, kind of center of attention versus being a character person or a scene stealer? Well, you know, it, it, it's just a branding, like mm-hmm. Cheerios. If you want to be a movie star, ideally you're just Cheerios every movie. And if you fit into that paradigm, I mean, obviously being able to play a dad and whatever you want to be, a little chubby, kind of big, with a certain kind of face. You know, so, But I look at Martin Short is sort of you know, a distant relative. Uh, Mike Myers did it his way. Um, and now I think live streaming is kind of like some of the stuff on there is just better than feature films. And it's all available to us. Right. But, um, but basically it's all about control. When I was on Saturday Night Live, you know, everything would come from me. I, and then I collaborated with Rob Smigel, brilliant. But I was going around doing different things and the Bush thing. And so it was coming from me. And then if you get in a, a film where the director's controlling you, then you're not involved in the editing, then you're just kind of lost. That's why I stopped. I had pay or play Hans and Franz um, for $3 million. That went away. I had pay or play for Tucson. I turned that down. Bad Boys, too. They sent me a half million, $3 million, though. So once I did clean play, whatever those two movies were, I said, no, mm-hmm. I won't do that anymore. And I turned down a lot of money. But remember, I had the stand-up, so I right. made up for it. Um, but I think on Saturday Night Live, everyone is kind of um, in charge. We're all equal there. Right. When you get in a film, if you don't initially come out of the gate fast, then you lose power. You know, you want to come out of the gate fast and maintain the power. In other words, control. Right. You know, and I think Will Ferrell's done that brilliantly. Huge fan, and Adam Sandler too. Who's he? He he just is in charge of everything. But if you're not there. Then you're just, you know, if I think of some of the writer directors of the goofy movies they did, if they were writing and directing my sketches on SNL, I would have sucked there too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, 125 takes. Yeah. Um, and I think Jimmy Fallon was kind of upended by it too. He's kind of cute. Is he a leading man? Is he funny? Right. And now he's in this vehicle that's great for him. But, you know, um, so it all makes sense. But I'm very grateful that I um, was able to, uh, you know, I'm still doing it now and really excited by it. Just, you know, that's that's kind of surprising in a way. So it's it's a combination of finding the vehicle that's right for you and then being able to have control over it. 
is really the key. Yeah, or riding the vehicle with mm-hmm. like-minded people. Okay. Yeah, it's it's really about it's, it's they're not trying to fit you into a box. Um, you, you have to kind of control it yourself. And like I said, on Saturday Night Live, the people who pop, you're always sort of the major influence in your sketches, if not the sole writer, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the directing was so, um, it was just shots. No one directed you. You directed yourself, right. you know, and it was immediate. So anyway, it's interesting, right? Just yeah. which ones become long-term movie stars and which ones don't. You know, there's so many talented people that went through SNL and did really well, but didn't find a vehicle post-SNL. That's more common than not, you know? Right. Well, um, I mean, yeah, like Jimmy Fallon wanted to be a movie star. It didn't happen for him, but then he kind of fell into this even bigger success through the tonight show. Yeah. And he talked about it. You get there at five, you're, you're around for seven hours. You do makeup, you do the master shot. And then sometime around five in the afternoon, they get the, your thing, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a certain discipline. Now, if you're the Judd Apatow method, he upended everything with the digital cameras and we're just going to run it all day. And they'll, with Will Ferrell or Adam Sandler, they just have the camera going and they're riffing and discovering it live in real time. And I never was in a film into that. It was always just giant spools of film. <laughs> we have no time for you to <laughs> improvise now and have fun on camera. So uh, I think it's also just the way it's shot and whatever your strengths or weaknesses right. are as a performer. But for me, I'm best when I'm discovering it on camera. Ah. Um, yeah. So if you think Will Ferrell, I know the way it works. He's, He's got a he's got a construct he's working from in mm-hmm. San Francisco, but then they just run twenty minutes on him and he plays with it and it pops. And I'd love to be in that position, but it would probably be on live streaming. But I'd love to be in the position where that and I and I could look at it and go, okay, my, yeah. So I'm uh, that's good. I'm alive in the frame right now because <laughs> I'm discovering it in real time. Maybe, they, but your your blog's pretty sophisticated, right? So hopefully this is not too off the reservation. No, <laughs> the readers. no, we, we go we go we go in deep. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, who it's, is, it's interesting. Yeah. Who has who has been really great in terms of giving you advice at this stage in terms of figuring mm-hmm. out your next besides move? You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, besides me, I had to. I just figured this all out for myself, mm-hmm. really. You know, I honestly, um, I think I could really give advice to uh, people coming through, and I do. I see young comics, and, you know, I, I give it the best advice I can. It's just I had to go through it all. I was never a natural fit. I had a lot of sub-brands, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, Thursday, Hans, and Franz, but I was never a character as a brand. I did not fit in an easy paradigm. Um you know, uh, people who are chameleons and kind of wiry young men that are chameleons, it, it, they, we don't fit naturally, you know. Um, a certain type travels better in a certain comic style. But then, you know, again, you get, you know, on the talk show, that's, that's a gilded cage. And I'm telling you, even a long-term movie star, it's, you know, I'm around some of my friends and you just feel the weight of it. I mean, it, it's heady to be a real movie star. You go to Disneyland, you're swamped. I mean, I can grow a goatee, put a hat on, and go to the store. I mean, it's unbelievably nice. <laughs> you know, these are existential things. But the yeah. assumption is we all want to be Madonna. Well, look, what happened to Dana Carvey is he could be bigger. We could get you. you know, I honestly never floated my boat. I'm, there's others I won't name, but I can tell certain comedians, very famous comedians, are not trying to be the biggest red carpety, you know, 
People magazine person. Right. You know? Yeah, no, I, I Figure know. them out for yourself. I know. They're artists, but they don't care. Yeah, I know a couple of those people who actually hate the fame part of it. I, that makes sense to me. Yeah. You know? Um, so anyway, so that's been kind of nice. I just followed my own news, but, you know, it's just, uh, I don't have regrets about that, mm-hmm. you know? And when you're a talk show host, you become kind of a cartoon character. I don't know. Look, I was a busboy, man. <laughs> I was a busboy who tried stand-up. You know, was that was that your last job? Being a, your last regular well, I, job I, being a busboy? I moved up to waiter, which mm-hmm. I did in the special. I did wait on uh, Richard Pryor and George Carlin. You oh know, yeah, that's did, right. You know, I was a waiter. I was a waiter, and then that was my last job. And then once I could make six, seven hundred a month um, in stand-up, I was like, wow, this is my job. Unbelievable. Have you, know? you have you ever run into anybody who said they waited on you and now they're famous? Uh, one interesting one, just one degree separate, was Bill Hader's wife uh-huh. waited on my family in Missoula, Montana, where I'm <laughs> from, because we were up there. Yeah. So that's that was interesting. Yeah, I was I nice? <laughs> I always tip fifty percent at least. So that was good. Always tip. You never know. Right. You never but Bill know. Hader and Fred Austin, you know, those are two people that I, I know casually and we've done some stuff together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just love everything they do. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what advice do you give? Uh, you know, you said you give advice. What, what advice are you giving your sons? My sons? Yeah. Oh, I just say um, create your own career. The, the, the whole thing is upside down from when I came through. Um, you know, do YouTube videos, uh, do acting classes, do stand-up, uh, do podcasts, do Vine. You know, just create your own thing from the inside out. And when I tell them, look, if you work hard, you, you could maybe make 100000 a year doing this. Mm-hmm. And their eyes get real big. Now, as far as the brass ring, uh, like this giant, huge thing, you can't predict that or do it for that reason. Mm-hmm. But now there's a million, a million base hits, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of, I think it's the coolest time, but it is hard. I mean, there's people that are on TV shows, never heard of the TV show, they're stars, and never even heard of the live streaming network, you know, and you know, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, it's sort of like, can't do it for the same, uh, you know, it's very distortive. This is stuff I'm sure you've written about, just the whole, um, YouTube stars and Vine stars and, um, you know, stand-up is the one thing which the computers haven't, the robots haven't taken over yet. Because, you know, the algorithms for a lot of these musicians, they put it in the computer to write the hook and so forth. Um, and But the stand-up, as far as getting laughs, I haven't figured how to make a robot do that yet. You know? Well, thank goodness, because so. uh, <laughs> I much prefer... I know, to... <laughs> I, I, I may work on a bit where they, they just, the trip as I can do them. They determine that Johnny Carson is the ultimate... So they make the uh, they're called Johnny One Robot. Mm-hmm. They make three thousand of them, and they, they just go all over the country. And comedians can't get any work because they just they're just they're just robotic Carsons. There there is yeah. a there is a comic who's out in L.A. now, Ron Lynch. He does have an old bit about I think it's like a Disney Park robot who's like coming from the future, and it it breaks down, and it's it's uh it's it's sad. It's funny, but it's but it, it's funny, but it's a sad commentary on comedy. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's, it's, 
Did you? Are you a stand-up as well? Uh, no, I, I I dabbled with it uh, briefly in the '90s when I lived in Seattle. But um, uh, comedy underground, played yeah, there a lot. Yeah, the comedy underground. Yeah. I, I was part of a short-form improv group there, and uh, and I competed in the Seattle competition, the smaller version of the San Francisco one, back in. 90- oh, okay. So that's how you're aware of that. Yeah. yeah okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but um, San Francisco was the big one that had all the you know all the big people who came out of there. It did. I know. It really came through there. A lot of big people won that thing after I did it. Yeah, I just, the fluke, I barely, like I said, that time. But, um, you know, it's just, it's just interesting life. I, I'm just completely uh, um, still kind of stunned by it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in a way. Just to make money in the art, is, it's just really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, do you think you're going to do another another season of First Impressions, or where was that a one time only? I just thought it was six and out. I mean, I thought it was really fun. They could maybe do it once a year, six episodes if they wanted. Okay. I, I think that there's it's hard. I mean, that was a 22 minute thing. There was so much more you could do, but could it be like the boys? There's a redundancy to here's another guy doing <laughs> Christopher Walk. Right. You know, I think that's and here's a woman doing Sophia Vergara. So it, it, there's sort of, I don't think it completely applied to the, in music, let's all do the best of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So everyone's in uh, with impressions. I don't know. It might be best as an online show okay. where people in their bedrooms, they're online, they do just a brilliant Tom Cruise. They're right. competing by sending in stuff. There, There is a show there, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but... That was fine. I'm, I'm happy with the just all these different things you can do. These little boxes, like oh, just do that a little bit, you know. Yeah. Well, Dana, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm honored and pleased to talk to you, and uh, it's great to great to see a new hour for me on Netflix, and I look forward to seeing what's next. Uh, do yeah, I still want to do one more special in small room um, that's very a little more deconstructed. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I would like to do um, these specials are all kind of feel the same they're shot the same it just doesn't play to my strength completely um i mean like the other night i did um john Lennon and paul mccartney it was just completely off script you know and that's normally what i do but in a small room you can do it very right. tough in a big room with all the cameras flying. so i'm still happy with people seem to like it but i, I still have in my head like mm, it'd be fun to do one that I mean, I saw Robin Williams warming up in a little theater in Mill Valley, and he'd have these magic nights, you know, before yeah. the last special. And then in the special, it's just like, well, here's the camera. It's a quarter million dollar production. I better get to it, you know. <laughs> and you give yourself permission to not get to it. And right. so I'm interested in trying to find a way to shoot a special that pops in a different way. For my style. Just my style. Not other people can well, I look. I look. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I look forward to. I look forward to watching that. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. I'm just going to keep going, and I'm going to keep uh, mentoring my kids. And uh, they're working on a brother act, by the way, which is really potent because they're <laughs> dealing with the celebrity dad part of it. Oh yeah, they're doing their stick, and they, and they just go swing, and that's for the old man upstairs. <laughs> I mean, just owning it because they have that target on their back. You know, right. it's a little. You know, hey, where's your dad? You're your dad, you know. So. <laughs> Um, but they're really funny and really charming. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll have to talk to them someday too, but, uh, but I'll give them, but <laughs> I'll give, great. but I'll give them 40 years before that happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dana. 
My pleasure. Bye. All right. Be well. Thanks. Bye-bye. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.